0: And for this communion service, again, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 tonight and some other scriptures in a moment. And we're going to consider a very familiar scripture, I think, to most of you here. But we're going to do so tonight in the context of the Lord's Supper. Hebrews chapter 12, and that familiar verse is verse 24. It says, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling. In Sunday school this morning, I taught from Romans 8, and the fact that one of the great assurances of our salvation, the reasons why, one of the great reasons why we should never doubt if you've truly been saved is because we have an advocate and a mediator, and he's a better mediator. But then it says this, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling. So that's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ sprinkled at on the mercy seat up in heaven, the true mercy seat, and of course, spiritually speaking, sprinkled on our hearts to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. There are two realities that are presented in this one verse that I want us to consider tonight. And the first one is the reality and the truth that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And that is a truth that Abel, he speaks about Abel's blood, right? It is that Abel's blood who was shed, shed by his brother Cain, it speaks. God hears it. And the Bible says in Genesis 4.10, God said, What hast thou done? The voice, the voice of thy brother's blood, Crieth unto me from the ground. God hears every drop of blood that has ever been shed um, from his position of justice. And what exactly therefore does the blood, the voice of, of his blood say, Abel's blood? Well, it speaks of vengeance. It speaks of justice. It speaks of judgment for sin. And that brings us to the second reality. Verse 24 again, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So here you have another voice. It's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed as an atonement for sins and it appeals to forgiveness on behalf of sinners. Now think about that for just a moment. All of the blood of all of the martyrs of all time, according to Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, cries out. And it says, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not avenge our blood? It is the cry for justice. It is the cry for retribution. And you know what? It is good. It is right and it is holy and it is just because justice honors God. Because God is a just God. But you know, folks, from our perspective, and for our part tonight, there's something even better than that. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ speaks, the Bible says, it speaks better things than that of Abel. So that, for example, even though the blood of Stephen, you think about the first martyr, the real first martyr, you think about his blood crying out for justice. Being shed that day to this very day, crying out the heart of Stephen. The blood of Stephen cries out for justice. But as he was dying, the heart of Stephen cried out in his dying breath the words, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Almost exactly what Jesus said as he hung on the cross, reminding us that the blood of our Lord. Applied the mercy seed, applied to Stephen's heart, spake better things than that of Abel. And beloved, it is with that in mind that we're going to consider God's mercy. And we're going to consider God's mercy tonight at communion, including the very serious business of mercy and grace extended to others. And that why for a child of God, for us as believers and Christians, it is always, always a better way. It's the reason why God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Now you say, Pastor, are you, are you going to tell me tonight that I have to like this guy that, that personally ruined my life? No. You know the Bible does not command you to like anybody? Aren't you glad? <laughs> David didn't like Shimei or his actions, When Shimei, when David showed him mercy and spared his life. Well, pastor, are you going to tell me that I have to ignore what wrong or what evil things so and so did to me? Nope. In fact, it would be wrong to ignore the wrongs and injustices of other people. Ignore is a derivative of the word ignorance. And God never wants us to be ignorant in that way. I mentioned Shimei in 2 Samuel chapter 16. Abishai, you may remember, wanted to lop his head off. He's a blood of Abel kind of guy. He wanted to lop his head off for cursing the king and threatening him with insults. And it's a fact. I mean, Shimei, I wouldn't want him in this church. Shimei is a worth, was a worthless, unregenerate man to the very end of his life. And David kept his promise. He always kept his promise to spare that man's life. However, as a king, as a man of authority, and as a godly person, David didn't ignore what he did. David did not ignore or sweep under the rug or deny Shimei's great sin. And the proof of that is what David told his son Solomon when he's about to die and pass the baton to his son who would be the new king. Here's what it says in 1 Kings 2, verses 8 and 9. I don't know if we have it or not. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei. This is David speaking to Solomon. Thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamin of Bahurim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to the death with the sword. That's mercy. Because he had every right to in the position. But. Verse 9 says, Now therefore hold him not guiltless, Solomon, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him, but his whore or gray head bring thou down to the grave with blood. What? David forgave him and then demanded justice. Yes, as God's ruler, David had to see that Shimei's besmirching of God's glory in Israel had to be judged. But you know what? As the man after God's own heart, he didn't want to do the judging himself. Stephen's blood cried for vengeance. But Stephen's heart cried for forgiveness. Father, forgive them. So the question is, what does your heart cry for? And what does my heart cry after? Because you know, folks, if you're saved tonight... You belong to Christ, and His blood speaks better things than that of of Abel's because His blood cries out for mercy and forgiveness. In other words, look, as a Christian, it is better to forgive others because it was better. It speaks better things in forgiveness for you. And the reason it is better is because of what it does because of what this mercy and this forgiveness does. Let me just do a couple things, say a couple things, and then we're going to pray for the bread. What does forgiveness and mercy do? Number one, it glorifies God. Colossians 3.13 says, If any man have a quarrel, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. If you're in a fight with someone, you're in a quarrel with someone, the Bible says the first thing that you should do is what Christ did for you. He forgave you. So you forgive that person that you have a quarrel against. Many years ago, many, many years ago in Paducah, Kentucky, some of you remember this in the news, a small group of high school students gathered at Heath High School. And they gathered there for the usual morning prayer. These were Christian kids just a regular high school in, in Kentucky, but every morning at school, they would gather together, much like we did in, when I got saved, 13, 14 years of age. Um, there in Hope Mills, North Carolina, gathered together in the hallway to pray and read the Bible. Just as they said their final amen before the bell rang to go to classes, a 14-year-old freshman walked in with a pistol, and he started firing. Point blank, in that prayer circle, calmly pointing and shooting one student at a time. When he was finished and was taken down, three students were dead, five others were seriously wounded, and the story, as you know, made headlines, but it made headlines for over a year, a year and a half, and what was astonishing to learn in that story is that these very students were among the only ones in the school who befriended that same kid. He was a new student. It was a little Christian group that befriended him and took him in and tried to make him feel at home. Those are the ones that he shot. People were bewildered. People were blown away, you might say, by something that happened in the weeks and the months ahead. And what they were blown away by was the amazing depth and degree of forgiveness that was extended by those Survivors and their families to the boy and to his family. One 15 year old girl, Melissa Jenkins, she lay in the hospital just days after the shooting, unable to walk because her spinal cord was severed. They asked her if she had anything to say. And she said, Tell that boy that I forgive him. Forgive him? I'm not sure I'd say that. The media was stunned. Fellow believers all through that town were greatly convicted. Here was a girl who had the mind of Christ. And folks, it's been written that the past 20 years or so, hardened skeptics and the absolute worst of sinners in Paducah have come to Christ because of the testimony of those teenage believers and their demonstration of forgiveness and faith in Christ. And that's why forgiveness glorifies God. Had they all cried for vengeance, had they all cried for justice, which had been their human right to do, who would have come to Christ for that? And how would God have been glorified because of that? You know, most everybody in the secular world has heard the so-called Lord's Prayer. Most everybody in the secular world has heard it. Billions of people have repeated it. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's the model prayer that Jesus gave. And everybody knows the words, but very, very few Christians have actually seen those words in action. A man by the name of Saul witnessed that very action in Stephen who being stoned to death as a righteous man full of the Holy Ghost, said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them? Saul's over here who signed the death warrant holding the coats, and the Scripture says that 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 convicted him. And it convicted him so much that even as he chased other believers down all the way to Damascus, the Lord Jesus brought it to his attention. Forgiveness always glorifies God. And the reason it glorifies God is that it is Christ like. It is that it is supernatural. It is a testimony to others that Jesus' blood speaks better things than that of Abel's. I'm going to show you something from the book of Genesis. Some of you may remember when we were on our foundational series a little bit anyway. I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 4 and verse 15. It may be up there. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance, vengeance, shall be taken on him sevenfold. Now, I want you to think, because the blood of Abel's crying from the ground. I want you to think for a moment about a sevenfold vengeance towards Cain. Notice how a man named Lamech applied that metric to himself. Same chapter, this is verse 23. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adah and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. In other words, Lamech was apparently a man who loved vengeance, an angry man. He killed someone in a fight. And knowing that God has sworn to avenge Cain, sevenfold Lamech arrogantly believed he deserved 70 times seven it's a boast that's typical of of sinful humanity and so on but what did Jesus say about that he said Jesus said something about that I believe he did I believe he did when Peter came to him one time and said Lord how many times am I supposed to forgive someone who sinned against me a brother seven times and the Lord Jesus looked at him and Peter, being magnanimous about the seven times Jesus said in Matthew 18.22, No. I say unto you until seven times. Seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. Who can keep up with 490 offenses from one person? I stopped with Remo at 450. In other words, man wants vengeance 70 and 7 times. But Jesus whose blood speaks better things than that of Abel empowers us us to exact forgiveness 70 times 7. That's supernatural. That's something you can I cannot do in the flesh. And that's a forgiveness that glorifies God. Now I know the world loves in our world, and I'm, you know, it's hard for our young people now with hip hop music and the rest of it, our world loves to glorify the, the, the guy who says, you know, go ahead and make my day. The world loves and, and, and admires the wolf, the guy who wins and who comes out on top no matter what the cost, no matter how they have to step, who they have to step on. But you know, the world's not better because of that. People's hearts are not changed and transformed and and improved because of that attitude. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Forgiving one another, even as God... So there's the comparison again. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There's our standard. In other words, since God's forgiveness is possible through the blood of Christ... Therefore, those of us who have been forgiven, we can glorify the better things that Jesus' blood speaks of. And how do we do that? By having a forgiving heart and by having a forgiving spirit. In fact, while most Christians are familiar with that text in Ephesians 4.32, they almost always make the mistake of not reading the very next verse because the very next verse is the next chapter. It's chapter 5 and verse 1. And do you know what that text says? Let me read it to you. Ephesians 4.32, Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Chapter 5, verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children in other words you've been forgiven his blood has been applied and in some ways on your hearts so therefore as his child as dear children be sure that you reveal the family likeness that you demonstrate that you're a, that you've been born into the family of God letting his forgiveness be seen in you many many years ago Ben and Andy and I walked up to the Jupiter Lighthouse. 105 steps to the top, and there's a whole lot of awesome history in that place. For a small fee, Jewel will give you a private tour if you go. VIP. But I remember that time going up, I noticed something, and many, many years ago, we were starting back down and I saw in the, the middle of all those dozens of those big, thick, Coke bottle-like lenses, it's like a little circle there, and there's a little, there, there was at least a little compartment with a door. And so, me being me, <laughs> looking around and not seeing a park, and Jewel was nowhere to be found, wasn't born yet. No, nobody was around. I decided I wanted to know what's inside that door. And you had to flip a latch and turn it and do this, and I, I did, and I looked inside. And you know what's in there? Is this still there, Joel, that little door, little compartment? I don't know if it's even still there. But anyway, I looked inside, and it was bottles and bottles of Windex and boxes of rags. And I thought, that makes sense. Somebody has to keep the lens clean, or otherwise the light will be obscured. And you know, beloved, the same thing is true about your life. People need to see what God has done in your heart. God has done a magnificent, eternal, glorious thing by forgiving you, by showing you his mercies every morning that are new. And so, one of the ways to keep that lens clean and show his glory is, as the Bible says, forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgiveness is better because it glorifies God. Number two, forgiveness is also better because it blesses man. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. If you were to go through the Bible tonight and turn to every scripture that talks about forgiveness or about loving your enemy, if you look up every text on forgiveness towards other people outside of you, here's what you'll find. You will find a catalog of all of the different blessings that your forgiveness affords you and them. So that the act of forgiving itself is like a key that unlocks the windows of heaven and and God, therefore, pours out a blessing on you. Let me give you one. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Forgiveness blesses men. According to the New Testament, it deflects pride. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It restores lost joy. It affirms love, agape love. It promotes unity and, and true fellowship. And it is not a coincidence tonight. That the first Lord's Supper, the last real Passover, it is not a coincidence that as Jesus stood there at that and sat there at that first communion, it took place in the very same place and during the very same hour and during the very same admonitions when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet. So that all of those exhortations and admonitions Jesus gave about humility, about servitude, and about forgiving one another, he gave all of those at the Last Supper. At the Lord's Supper. And of course, the reason he did so is that with the blood that was going to be shed in a matter of hours, with the blood and the forgiveness of Jesus, the Lord Jesus towards them, it would now be possible, as never before, for them to forgive one another, for them to forgive also their enemies. As you know, the first thing that our Lord passed out was the bread, the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Brother Kevin if he would to stand. He's going to ask God's blessing upon the bread. And as they pass it out, I encourage you to read in Matthew 26:27:28 as God leads you, Brother Kevin.
1: Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. For the blood of Christ that has been shed, that we might have new life, forgiveness of sins, and Lord, you've given us a relationship with you through the blood of Jesus. The Lord has you us tonight to remember and to think about all that you've done for us would help us to have a Christ-like spirit to the world around us. We thank you so much for... Salvation. I pray that we would never get over Calvary. What it means to us for you have made Him be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Thank you for loving us. Lord. We pray that this would be a holy time as we think about Your sacrifice for us. We thank you for it in Christ Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.
0: And Amen. Matthew chapter twenty-seven. Read some scriptures, and we'll pass out the bread. Amen. Some of you are familiar with the life and ministry of a great preacher named Charles Allen. He was one of those men. There are some preachers and pastors through the years. George George Mueller was one, and um, and others that were known for their infectious joy. They were just so full of faith and trust in God that they were. It just seemed like they were always on top side, and legitimately and realistically so, just joyous. And he was one of those men. And he was an old, great old Methodist preacher. And he was asked one time if he ever had a turning point, the Q&A type thing. And was there ever a time in your life, your ministry, where you remember as a watershed experience where you became this man so famous for your unusual and your remarkable joy? And he didn't hesitate. He immediately said, yes, there is such a time. He said, as a young boy, there was a certain bitter man who did wrong to his father. And he said it caused his father a great amount of distress and pain of heart for the rest of his life, years. And through the years, he had lost contact with this particular man, this old antagonist. But then finally, during the time of his very first pastorate as a young man, that same old enemy of his dad's moved into town and was seeking a position as the superintendent of schools. Pastor Allen said that as soon as as the school board was going to have their first meeting, he was going to go. And his attitude was, wait till they hear from me about this man. They'll never hire him. So he decided he would make an appointment with each one of them beforehand. And he got in his car and he started on the way. To meet with some of those board members and the Holy Spirit hit him hard and he thought to himself here am I a preacher of the gospel in my first pastorate and I am holding on to this 25 year old grudge and I'm about to air it publicly to a group of sinners he rushed back to his home he said he canceled the appointments fell on his knees next to his bed And he prayed and he said, Lord, if you'll forgive me, if you'll forgive me for not being forgiven, and if you will forgive me for trying to do this, I will never seek vengeance again. And Charles Allen said in answer to that, that question in that forum, he said, that was the beginning of a life and a ministry of joy and blessing and the hand of God upon all that he was doing. The blood of Jesus speaks better things than that of Abel's. Now look, the blood of Abel's does speak justice. It came unto God's ears. But he's God. The blood of Jesus on our behalf speaks better things. We've been forgiven. We can forgive. What is your salvation testimony? Think about it for a moment. Your salvation testimony. The webs have been coming to our church. Wonderful couple. We love them. Faithful. And Brother Dave is going to stand. and He's going to give you his salvation testimony. Brother Dave, please.
2: All right, so when the pastor asked me to uh, do this, I, uh, he said I should tell a little bit about myself. This is really for most of you all on the right side of Beacon Baptist because we know the two don't really mix that much, right? But um, anyway, so um, we've been coming to the uh, church for about one year. My wife, uh, Esther, she's from Hungary, and uh, those of you who may not be aware, uh, Transylvania used to be part of Hungary. I'll leave that to you on what that might mean. Then my um, uh, daughter, Katie, you'll see Esther and Katie up in the uh, in the choir. My uh, son, David, and he's uh, on the chimes there with the orchestra. And then every Sunday, it seems like my youngest is adopted by the Diaz family. She's way over there. So, But uh, for me... Uh I was raised in a Christian family, so I heard the gospel from a, a very early age, and my parents were very godly and uh so I became convicted um i can 't even tell you the it was very young my mom just remembered me running in and saying how I'd accepted Christ as my savior Now you might think well that 's where that would for inform- me I became a christian there i haven 't heard anybody really say this before so uh but that was the first of like a dozen times because <laughs> as a child i you know i I'd, I'd have i'd hear another sermon and think i i really wasn't and i hadn't really confessed enough or and i went through this for quite a while and uh, and then finally uh before high school i i really felt that i'd accepted the lord and uh things solidified for me and uh but for me the uh the other thing that uh, the pastor wanted me to mention was, you know, a bit about myself. But I don't have to do that because it turns out, especially all have been going, the longer you've been here, the more you've heard my story. And every time the pastor gives a story about his childhood, my wife says she can just see me. And the similarities three boys, military family moving around, all the trouble minus the pyromania. Um, so that was what my life was like uh, there. And, and even though Christ was uh, um, Lord of my life, and I knew that, I, and I just related to what he just said about this uh, pastor, because this was me. You notice that what he just said was that the pastor was driving, and then he got convicted. And this has been my problem the whole time. He didn't ask beforehand he didn't turn to God before he took action and my whole life even after becoming a Christian I would not turn to God as my first thought and for those of you who don't know I was the person who had the heart attack on Christmas Eve and they had to revive me three times so I had multiple heart attacks So my wife and I were going over my life and how all the stressful things, because she's concluded that it was stress that got me there. And what she brought up was each time when you looked at these, whether they were small items or big items, my first thought was not Christ. And so even though this seems like a story that would be from... 50 years ago it's really not it's just from a few months ago so that's my testimony
0: amen and amen God bless you my brother I want you to bow your heads for a moment while you bow your heads I'm going to read a scripture for you the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him a whole band of soldiers so picture this in your mind with your heads bowed they stripped him and put him on a put on him a scarlet robe and when they had plaited or made a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Remind you, what was on his head was a crown of thorns. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. His body was broken and beaten even before the cross. Be thankful for the forgiveness that you have received because of his broken body, and then extend that same forgiveness to others, whether they, quote, deserve it or not. The Lord Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Our Father in heaven, thank you tonight. Thank you that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you that you knew that when you sent your Son, he would demonstrate the nature of God while hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We thank you for this night and for our salvation. In the name of Christ. Amen. As you know, at the Last Supper, that Passover meal, the Lord Jesus took the cup, the fruit of the vine, and he told the, uh, the apostles, the disciples, that this would represent his blood that's going to be shed. Of course, I can't even imagine the agony. We know the agony of the garden. Now we're even closer that our Lord was in that night, knowing what was going to happen to him. That he was going to bear the sins, all my sins and yours, in his own body on the tree. And he said, I just want you to remember that this blood that will be shed for you is innocent blood and the cost of your salvation. I'm going to ask Brother Chris Hammond to stand, please, and ask for God's blessing on the juice, and then we'll pass it. We noted that forgiveness glorifies God, and it does, that forgiveness is a blessing to man. vengeance isn't a blessing to man and it certainly doesn't glorify God vengeance is his and then finally tonight I want you to think about the fact that forgiveness defeats Satan in fact there's another scripture about forgiveness and mercy whereas the blood of Jesus speaks better things that's usually overlooked it's 2 Corinthians 2.10 and here's what it says to whom ye forgive anything I forgive also for your sakes. Forgive I it in the person of Christ. Now wait a minute. The very next verse says, lest. Lest. So it's a continuing thought. Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In other words, Satan's schemes are defeated. By forgiving hearts. Folks, Satan, his whole agenda is to destroy. His ad- agenda in families and marriages, children's and the parents, is to sow envy and hatred and bitterness and pride right in the middle of people's lives, especially Christians' lives. But his whole agenda is thwarted when holy people of God demonstrate the forgiveness of Jesus by having a forgiving spirit. That's why Romans 12 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's how you overcome it. By being like Christ, by being forgiving. The truth is, Satan hates forgiveness, and it is sheer folly for any of us to promote Satan's agenda by refusing to forgive another person. I remember many years ago, Ben was little, He's playing a board game called Risk. basically playing both sides of the board, and he'd been doing it for quite a while. I thought he was finished, the game was over, he was gone, it was sitting out, so I just took the board and I slid all the pieces back into the box, folded it up, not realizing that all of those pieces were strategically placed for a future victory. And because of me, instead of a victory, what he got was Armageddon. <laughs> Everything was destroyed by me, the Antichrist, of course. And obviously, he wasn't very happy about that, and he told me so, and he was pretty distraught. And I remember later on that day or that night, I was going out to visitation, and just as I was leaving, going out the door, he kind of ran to me, and he said, Dad, I will forgive you after you get home. (laughs) And I said, Why don't you forgive me now? He said, Because right now, I want to be mad at you. (laughs) And I was driving to visitation, and I thought, You know what? I know a lot of grown-ups who are just like that. They could forgive because they have the power to, because Christ has enabled them to, because their minds have been enlightened. They could forgive, but right now they just want to be angry or unforgiving or mad. So think about this. Think about what it cost God to forgive you. This is what this is about, this table. It cost God everything. It cost him his son, his own son, in order to bring about this forgiveness, okay? What does it cost you to forgive another sinner? Nothing, because Jesus already paid for that. His blood is already sprinkled on the mercy seat. It speaks better things than that of Abel's. It costs you nothing to forgive someone else. Do you know why we're here tonight? and not in some bar, or some club, or some jail cell? The only reason, really, that we're here tonight is the blood of Christ, the blood of the sprinkling, that speaks better things than that of Abel. It speaks of mercy, of forgiveness, of grace, and of salvation. The Gallaghers are some of our newest members. I thank the Lord for their coming here. I actually prayed that they would. I knew they were moving in the steward area, and I knew a little about them, and I said, Lord, lead him here, would you please? And the Lord answered that prayer, and our Brother Les is going to tell us about his salvation story. I, I mistakenly said when they joined that he was a t- retired electrician, because that was the information I got from some people in New Jersey, if I don't want to say, and he's not, but um, I don't know, he'll fix your light bulb, maybe, I don't know, but anyway, he's going to stand and give his salvation testimony. Good evening.
1: Andrew said I had 40 minutes, but my wife said, keep it short. (laughs) Um, Unlike Dave, I was not born in a Christian home. Um, I was raised Catholic and was always told, just do good, do your good works, and that'll be enough. And um, in 1982, in my 20s, I come to know the Lord as my Savior, And it all started in 1981 when a neighbor of mine got invited to church and he came next door pounding on my door. And he was no short individual or weak. When he's pounding on the door, the dishes in the cabinet were shaken. And he goes, if I have to go to church, you have to go to church. Well, during my first few years in the service I was given a Bible. I read a little bit about it here and there and when we went to church that next Sunday morning everybody thronged around him wanting to witness to him and share with him but me carrying my Bible they kind of just left me to myself and I didn't find out till about a year later what was going on in the background, but on Wednesday nights, they had prayer service, and all the different groups would break up in prayer, and about a year later, the pastor got up in the pulpit and said, our teens would love to go to a youth rally in Virginia, but unfortunately, we do not have a bus driver. Do we have anybody here that knows how to drive a bus? And I raised my hand, and started driving the bus, and we got there in Virginia, and acting as a chaperone, when the park closed down and they ushered all the teens into the big amphitheater and shut the gates, I was going to stand by the back gate and make sure nobody left. And through the different evangelists that had preached, I made it from the back gate to the back row, to the middle row, to the front row. And that day there, I gave my life to the Lord and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And on the way home, I had found out for that last year, every Wednesday night, the teenagers of that church got on their knees, And we're praying that God would speak to my heart. And he did.
0: And God's people said? Amen. Amen. The Lord was not gonna let him go. I want you to bow your heads again. I'm gonna read some scriptures for you. And again, in your own hearts and minds imagine, and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them and upon my vesture they did cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Jesus said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Lord God, it is with joy tonight that we remember the words of of our Lord and Savior and your Son who said at that Passover meal that he would not drink this cup with them again until we all drink it together in the kingdom, that kingdom of which there shall be no end. And so we thank you, dear God, that the last supper, that the Lord's Supper, the last Passover, we thank you that it... It tells us to look backward at what Jesus did for us, but to look forward at what he has promised to do and will do for us and with us in your kingdom forever. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, you'll help us to be forgivers as well. We'll praise you for that. Help us to be a blessing everywhere we go. In Jesus' precious name, amen.